And we're in. Um, all right. Uh, interior. Sidecar Studios. Afternoon. Fade in. <laughs> on a on an unlit Sam. His brows are furrowed. Uh, he looks down at his laptop with malice in his eyes, and we pan to see the ball-peen hammer he's holding. One in each hand. He is uh, ball-peen akimbo, which is also going to be the name of the, the, the first cocktail that I invent. Enter Vin Diesel, nerd demigod, son of a human woman and uh, nerd Zeus. He puts his hand on Sam's shoulder. <laughs> hey, we're all family. So today's stream is going to be, I think, honestly, for you guys, fairly normal. For me, however, uh, I'm just going to let you know this brief story ends in disappointment. I spent a long time ginning up just a real nice uh, array of sound effects. I had, I think, north of 40, right? And to put that into some context, I think last week I had somewhere around 15, somewhere around 40. Once again, I'm warning you, this, this, this ends in tears for me. I spent uh, a dec I, uh, an inordinate amount of time working on that. Collecting those sounds, I use a website called freesound.org. The website I like a lot. Could use some some navigational fixes, but uh, you know it's a it's a fantastic resource. I get to my prep, got my music all laid out, got my hotkeys, which I don't think are working now. Fantastic and. My soundboard will not allow me to input new sounds. I don't know why, but uh, it was all jumbled. And as such, today, to, to Sam's great disappointment, once again, for you guys it might not matter a whole lot, but to Sam's great disappointment, um, we've got no soundboard today. I'm gonna work with some, I'm gonna work with some music. I think I'm actually, I'm pretty happy with the music. Um, but uh, it would have been a decent couple of chapters with the audio. We don't have it. Nothing to be done. Now, on that note, I would like anyone who's got any ideas, um, either in chat or in the, um, in the VOD later on in the comments, if you could let me know if you've got a, a lead on a high-capacity digital soundboard. The one that I was using is called DCSB, I believe, uh, Death Counter and Soundboard. It's a it's a, a streaming thing. It allows you to use hotkeys, but um, I do want it to be hotkey based. I've got one more thing to try, and that is to uh, I'm going to try a a USB keyboard just into the laptop and see if I can have that be my sort of stream switch deck, um, and then dedicate my actual keyboard to uh, to chat and such. But it seems that the possibilities are limited somewhat with DCSB. 
Nate says, just put all the sounds on a slideshow that you can click through. That was actually part of, it was one of the ideas that I had. That's, that's basically what I do with the music. Um, it's a seamless transition because I just have those scenes. They look identical. They just got, they've got different sounds attached to them. Um, but the big thing about that is I need a way to stop the sound. I need a way to, to, and, and in this case, you know, I've, I've hotkeyed it to, to zero on my number pad. I need to be able to hit that so I can stop the sound when the sound should stop. Because sometimes I find these audio assets and, and instead of having to go through and edit them all down, um, you know, my, my preference would certainly be just to have a button that I can stop the thing. I realize that the, uh, the soundboard, um, the audio stuff is a change that I, I've, I've seen some mixed reactions on it so far. I want to give it a fair shot. Um, because, uh, I do know it, it can certainly, it could certainly become distracting, but I would like to, to balance it out. I'd like to get good enough at it. Um, like I've gotten good enough with the, uh, other streaming business such that it's not distracting and it can flow nicely in. So with all that said. Today, we are proceeding with chapters three and four of Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix, not the Phoenix Order, Order of the Phoenix. Um, I feel like I can give it, I'll give it one last statement. This is my favorite book in the series. I love it. We see so much of the outer wizarding world. We see so much of how the, uh, it, it's such a, um, I, I feel an adept expansion of stakes, um, an expansion of our view of the wizarding world. You know, we start with Harry Potter and he learns a good bit at a time. We, we never feel bored with the amount that we have. At least I don't. Um, and then as we proceed outward, we get more and more of the wizarding world as Harry gains more and more of an understanding. And I think the, the pacing on that has been excellent. So a quick review of what we learned last time on Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix. Um, first two chapters, we got our start. It was an abrupt start, to be honest. Um, Harry Potter is, you know, he's doing, he's doing his thing. He is dealing with the fact that he's stuck at Privet Drive. Um, he's dealing with his, uh, you know, his, his aunt and uncle. He's dealing with um, kind of an inaccess to information. That's one of the things that he's really struggling with is uh, he's separated from the wizarding world and he's separated from his friends and separated from information about this thing that he knows is, I mean, it's kicking off. He watched Voldemort come back. Um, things are happening. And yet when he steals newspapers, when he listens to the news, nothing's going on and nobody will respond to his letters with any real information. Suddenly, he is waylaid along with Dudley in a in an alleyway by Dementors. Now, Dementors are only supposed to preside over the Wizarding Prison. Of course, we've seen them uh, preside over Hogwarts as well, much to the distaste of D uh, Dumbledore. But it does force Harry to do magic. He casts a Patronus charm. And nigh immediately, um, he's confronted by Mrs. Fig, his old neighbor, former babysitter, um, who turns out to be a squib, uh, a, a part of the magical world. She is friends with Dumbledore, or at least an acquaintance of Dumbledore. Uh, turns out that Harry has also been watched. Uh, and we see quite a bit of um, 
long overdue, if you ask me, confrontation between Harry and his his adoptive family, especially his aunt, because his aunt uh, reveals that she knows a bit more than she lets on about the Wizarding World. Um, she is aware that Dementors guard Azkaban, the Wizarding Prison, and not only that, but she receives a howler at the very end of chapter two. She refuses to comment on it, but what it says in a deep, resounding, fearsome voice is remember my last petunia of course harry's going nuts your last what what are you talking about he gets no answers and that is what has been uh his primary issue for over a month now no answers about what he knows is going to be a life-changing uh few weeks or even years now that voldemort is back so let's get into the chapters and uh see what we can see as usual Feel free to say hi in chat or talk about uh, anything you want to talk about from the chapter. I'd love to discuss it. Um, Luke says, Harry comes of age in this one. Oh, Harry comes of age to me in this one. And I think I agree with that. Um, Jeff Miller says, it's my least favorite because of Umbridge and some spoilers. I can certainly see where you're coming from. Ashlyn, welcome. Fahim, welcome as well. Yeah, they do, uh, Ash says, they become young adults in Half-Blood. Yeah, I think we, we sort of see individuals come of age and then quickly kind of shoot past that point. Um, we, we see a number of them uh, move very quickly, and it's not just Harry, but of course, I will leave that to uh, come in its own time. Now, once again, we are sans soundboard. But uh, let me know how the, the balance is on music. And let's do this thing. Chapter 3. The Advance Guard. I've just been attacked by Dementors and I might be expelled from Hogwarts. I want to know what's going on and when I'm getting out of here. Harry copied these words onto three separate pieces of parchment the moment he reached the desk in his dark bedroom. He addressed the first to Sirius, the second to Ron, and the third to Hermione. His owl, Hedwig, was off hunting. Her cage stood empty on the desk. Harry paced the bedroom, waiting for her to come back, his head pounding, his brain too busy for sleep even though his eyes stung and itched with tiredness. His back ached from carrying Dudley home, and the two lumps on his head where the window and Dudley had hit him were throbbing painfully. Up and down he paced, consumed with anger and frustration, grinding his teeth and clenching his fists, casting angry looks at the window. At the empty, star-strewn sky every time he passed it. Dementors sent to get him. Mrs. Fig and Mundungus Fletcher tailing him in secret, and then suspension from Hogwarts and a hearing at the Mystery of Magic, and still no one was telling him what was going on. And what, what had that howler been about? Whose voice had echoed so horribly, so menacingly through the kitchen? Why, is he, why was he still trapped here without information? Why was everyone treating him like some naughty kid? Don't do any more magic, stay in the house. He kicked his school trunk as he passed it, but far from relieving his anger, he felt worse, as now he had a sharp pain in his toe to deal with in addition to the pain in the rest of his body. As he limped past the window, Hedwig soared through it with a soft rustle of wings like a small ghost. 
about time, Harry snarled, and she landed lightly on top of her cage. You can put that down, I've got work for you. Hedwig's large, round, amber eyes gazed reproachfully at him over the dead frog clamped in her beak. Come here, said Harry, picking up the three small rolls of parchment and a leather thong and tying the scrolls to her scaly leg. Take these straight to Sirius, Ron, and Hermione, and don't come back without good, long replies. Keep pecking them until they've written a decent-length answer if you've got to. You understand? Hedwig gave a muffled, hooting noise, beak still full of frog. Get going, then, said Harry. She took off immediately. The moment she'd gone, Harry threw himself down onto the bed, without undressing, and stared at the dark ceiling. In addition to every other miserable feeling, he now felt guilty that he'd been irritable with Hedwig. She was the only friend he had at number four. But he'd make it up to her when she came back with Sirius's Ron's and Hermione's answers. They were bound to write back quickly. They couldn't possibly ignore a Dementor attack. He'd probably wake up tomorrow with three fat letters full of sympathy and plans for his immediate removal to the barrow. Excuse me. His immediate removal to the burrow. And with that comforting idea, sleep rolled over him, stifling all further thought. But Hedwig didn't return next morning. Harry spent the day in his bedroom leaving it only to go to the bathroom. Three times that day, Aunt Petunia shoved food into his room through the f uh, cat flap Uncle Vernon had installed three summers ago. Every time Harry heard her approaching, he tried to question her about the howler, but he might as well have been interrogating the doorknob for all the answers he got. Otherwise, the Dursleys kept well clear of his bedroom. Harry couldn't see the point of forcing his company on them. Another row would achieve nothing except perhaps making him so angry he'd perform more illegal magic. Illegal magic. So it went on for three whole days. Harry was filled alternately with restless energy that made him unable to settle to anything, during which he paced his bedroom again, furious at the whole lot of them for leaving him in to stew with this mess, and with a lethargy so complete he could lie in his bed for an hour at a time staring dazedly into space, aching with dread at the thought of the Ministry hearing. What if they ruled against him? What if he was expelled and his wand was snapped in half? What would he do? Where would he go? He could not return to living full-time with the Dursleys. Not now that he knew the other world, the one to which he really belonged. Was it possible he might be able to move into Sirius's house, as Sirius had suggested a year ago, before he had been forced to flee from the Ministry himself? Would he be allowed to live there alone, given that he was still underage? Or would the matter of where he went next be decided for him? Had his breach of international statute of secrecy been severe enough to land him in a cell in Azkaban? Whenever this thought occurred, Harry invariably slid off his bed and began pacing again. On the fourth night after Hedwig's departure, Harry was lying in one of his apathetic phases, staring at the ceiling, his exhausted mind quite blank, when his uncle entered the room. Harry looked slowly around at him. Uncle Vernon was wearing his best suit and ex an expression of enormous smugness. 
We're going out, he said. Sorry? We, that is to say, your Aunt Dudley and I, are going out. Fine, said Harry dully, looking back at the ceiling. You're not to leave your bedroom while we are away. Okay. You're not to touch the television, the stereo, or any of our possessions. Right. You are not to steal food from the fridge. Okay. I'm going to lock your door. You do that. Uncle Vernon glared at Harry, clearly suspicious of this lack of argument, and stomped out of the room and closed the door behind him. Harry heard the key turn in the lock, and Uncle Vernon's footsteps walking heavily down the stairs. A few minutes later, he heard the slamming of car doors, the rumble of an engine, and the unmistakable sound of the car sweeping out of the drive. Harry had no particular feeling about the Dursleys leaving. It made no difference for him whether they were in the house or not. He could not even summon the energy to get up and turn on his bedroom light. The room grew steadily darker around him as he lay listening to the night sounds through the window. He kept open all the time, waiting for the blessed moment when Hedwig returned. The empty house creaked around him. <laughs> the pipes gurgled. Harry lay there in some kind of stupor, thinking of nothing, suspended in misery. And then, quite distinctly, he heard a crash in the kitchen below. He sat bolt upright, listening intently. The Dursleys couldn't be back, it was much too soon, and in any case, he hadn't heard their car. There was silence for a few seconds, and then he heard voices. Burglars, he thought, sliding off of the bed onto his feet. But a split second later, it occurred to him that burglars would keep their voices down. And whoever was moving around in the kitchen was certainly not troubling to do so. He snatched up his wand from the bedside table and stood facing his bedroom door, listening with all of his might. Next moment, he jumped back as the lock gave a loud click and his door swung open. Harry stood motionless, staring through the open door at the dark upstairs landing, straining his ears for further sounds, but none came. He hesitated for a moment, and then moved swiftly and silently out of his room to the head of the stairs. His heart shot upward into his throat. There were people standing in the shadowy hall below, silhouetted against the streetlight glowing through the glass door. Eight or nine of them, all, as far as he could see, looking up at him. Lower your wand, boy, before you take someone's eye out, said a low, growling voice. Harry's heart was thumping uncontrollably. He knew that voice, but he did not lower his wand. Professor Moody, he said uncertainly. I don't know so much about Professor, growled the voice. Never got around to much teaching, did I? Get down here. We want to see you properly. Harry lowered his wand slightly, but did not relax his grip on it, nor did he move. He had very good reason to be suspicious. He had recently spent nine months in what he thought was Mad-Eye Moody's company, only to find that it was not Ma that it was not Moody at all, but an imposter. Moreover, 
an imposter who had tried to kill Harry before being unmasked. But before he could make a decision about what to do next, a second, slightly hoarse voice floated upstairs. It's all right, Harry. We've come to take you away. Harry's heart leapt. He knew that voice, too, although he hadn't heard it in more than a year. Professor Lupin? He said disbelievingly. Is that you? Why are we all standing in the dark? Said a third voice, this one completely unfamiliar. A woman's. Lumos! A wand tip flared, illuminating the hall with magical light. Harry blinked. The people below were crowded around the foot of the stairs, gazing intently up at him, some craning their necks for a better look. Remus Lupin stood nearest to him. Though still quite young, Lupin looked rather tired and ill. He had more gray hair than when Harry had said goodbye to him, and his robes were more patched and shabbier than ever. Nevertheless, he was smiling broadly at Harry, who tried to smile back through his shock. Oh, he looks just like I thought he would, said the witch, who was holding her wand aloft. She looked the youngest there. She had a pale, heart-shaped face. Dark, twinkling eyes and short, spiky hair that was a violent shade of violet. Watcha, Harry? Yeah, I see what you mean, Remus, said a bald black wizard standing furthest back. He had a deep, slow voice and wore a single gold hoop in his ear. He looks exactly like James. Except the eyes, said a wheezy-voiced, silver-haired wizard in the back. Lily's eyes. Mad-Eye Moody, who had a long, grizzled shock of gray hair and a large chunk missing from his nose, was squinting suspiciously at Harry through his mismatched eyes. One of the eyes was small, dark, and beady. The other, large, round, and electric blue. The magical eye that could see through walls, doors, and the back of Moody's own head. Are you quite sure it's him, Lupin? He growled. It'd be a nice lookout if we bring back some Death Eater impersonating him. We ought to ask him something only the real Potter would know. Unless anyone brought any Veritas serum. Harry, what form does your Patronus take? Said Lupin. A stag, said Harry nervously. That's him, Mad-Eye, said Lupin. Harry descended the stairs, very conscious of everybody still looking at him, stowing his wand into the back pocket of his jeans as he came. Don't put your wand there, boy, roared Moody. What if it ignited? Better wizards than you have lost buttocks, you know. How have you now it's lost a buttock? said the violet-haired woman. Never you mind. Just keep your wand out of your back pocket, growled Mad-Eye Moody. Elementary wand safety. Nobody bothers about it anymore. He stumped off toward the kitchen. And I saw that, he added irritably, as the woman rolled her eyes at the ceiling. Lupin held out his hand and shook Harry's. How are you? he asked, looking at Harry closely. Fine. Harry could hardly believe that this was real. Four weeks with nothing, not even the tiniest hint of a plan to remove him from Privet Drive, and suddenly a whole bunch of wizards was standing matter-of-factly in the house, as though this were a long-standing agreement. He glanced at the people surrounding Lupin. They were still gazing avidly at him. 
he felt very conscious of the fact that he had not combed his hair for four days. I'm... You're really lucky that the Dursleys are out, he mumbled. <laughs> lucky? <laughs> said the violet-haired woman. It was me that lured him out of the way. I sent a letter to Mud... I sent a letter by Muggle Post, telling him that he had been shortlisted for the All England Best Kept Suburban Lawn Competition. They're headed off to the prize given right now. Or at least they think they are. Harry had a fleeting vision of Uncle Vernon's face when he realized that there was no All England Best Kept Suburban Lawn Competition. We are leaving, aren't we? he asked. Soon? Almost at once, said Lupin. We're just waiting for the all clear. Where are we going? The burrow? Harry asked, hopefully. Not the burrow, no, said Lupin. Motioning Harry toward the kitchen, the little knot of wizards followed, all still eyeing Harry curiously. Too risky. We've set up headquarters somewhere undetectable. It's taken a while. Mad-Eye Moody was now sitting at the kitchen table, swigging from a hip flask, his magical eye spinning in all directions, taking in the Dursleys' many labor-saving appliances. This is Alistair Moody, Harry, Lupin continued, pointing toward Moody. Yeah, I know, said Harry uncomfortably. It felt odd to be introduced to somebody he thought he'd known for a year. And this is Nymphadora. Don't call me Nymphadora, Remus, said the young witch at, with a shudder. It's Tonks. Nymphadora Tonks, who prefers to be known by her surname only, finished Lupin. Yes, I would do if your fool of a mother had called you Nymphadora, muttered Tonks. And this is Kingsley Shacklebolt. He indicated the tall black wizard, who bowed. Elphias Doge? The wheezy-faced, wheezy-faced, the wheezy-voiced wizard nodded. Daedalus Diggle? We've met before, squeaked the excitable Diggle, dropping his hat. Emmeline Vance? A stately-looking witch in an emerald green shawl inclined her head. Sturgis Podmore? A square-jawed wizard with a thick, straw-colored hair winked. Just the one. And Hestia Jones? A pink-cheeked black-haired women. Oh, boy. It's a day, I tell you. A pink-cheeked, black-haired witch waved from neck to the toaster. Harry inclined his head awkwardly at each of them as they were introduced. He wished they would look at something other than him. It was as though he had suddenly been ushered on stage. He also wondered why so many of them were there. A surprising number of people volunteered to come and get you said Lupin, as though he had read Harry's mind. The corners of his mouth twitched slightly. Ah, well, the more the better, said Moody darkly. We're your guard, Potter. We're just waiting for the signal to tell us that it's safe to set off, said Lupin, glancing around out of the kitchen window. We've got about fifteen minutes. They're very clean, aren't they, these muggles? Said the witch called Tonks, who was looking around the kitchen with great interest. My dad's muggle-born. He's a right old slob. I suppose it varies, just like with wizards. Um, yeah, said Harry. Look, he turned back to Lupin. What's going on? I haven't heard anything from anyone. 
What's vo- Several of the witches and wizards made odd hissing noises. Daedalus Diggle dropped his hat again, and Moody growled, Shut up! What? said Harry. We're not discussing anything here. It's too risky, said Moody, turning his normal eye on Harry. His magical eye remained pointing at the ceiling. Damn it! he added angrily, putting a hand up to the magical eye. It keeps sticking ever since that scum wore it. And with a nasty squelching noise, much like a plunger being pulled from a sink, he popped out his eye. Mad-Eye, you do know that that's disgusting, don't you? said Tonks, conversationally. Get me a glass of water, would you, Harry? said Moody. Harry crossed to the dishwasher, took out a clean glass, and filled it with water at the sink. Still watching eagerly, the band of wizards stared relentlessly, and it was starting to annoy him. Cheers, said Moody, when Harry handed him the glass. He dropped the magical eyeball into the water and prodded it up and down. The eye whizzed around, staring at all of them in turn. I want 360 degree visibility on the return journey. How are we getting wherever we're going? Harry asked. Brooms, said Lupin. It's the only way. You're too young to operate, and they'll be watching the flu network, and it's more than our life's worth to set up an unauthorized port key. Remus says that you're a good flyer, said Kingsley Shacklebolt in his deep voice. He's excellent, said Lupin, who was checking his watch. Anyway, you better go and get packed, Harry. We want to be ready to go when the signal comes. I'll come up and help you, said Tonks brightly. She followed Harry back into the hall and up the stairs, looking around which looking around with much curiosity and interest. It's a funny place, she said. It's a bit too clean, you know what I mean? It's a bit unnatural. Oh, this is better, she added, as they entered Harry's bedroom and turned on the light. His room was certainly much messier than the rest of the house. Confined to it for four days in a very bad mood, Harry had not bothered tidying up after himself. Most of the books he owned were strewn over the floor, where he'd tried to distract himself in and, each in turn, had thrown them aside. Hedwig's cage needed cleaning out, and it was starting to smell, and his trunk lay open, revealing a jumbled mixture of muggle clothes and wizard's robes that had spilled onto the floor around it. Harry started picking up books and throwing them hastily into his trunk. Tonks paused at his open wardrobe to look critically at her reflection in the mirror on the inside of the door. Hmm. You know, I don't think purple's really my color, she said pensively, tugging at a like, tugging at a lock of spiky hair. Do you think it makes me look a bit peaky? Ah, uh, said Harry, looking up at her over the top of Quidditch teams of Britain and Ireland. Yeah, it does, said Tonks decisively. She screwed up her eyes in a strained expression as though she were struggling to remember something. And a second later, her hair had turned bubblegum pink. How did you do that? said Harry, gaping at her as she opened her eyes again. I'm a metamorph magus, she said, looking back at her reflection and turning her head so that she could see her hair from all directions. It means I can change my appearance at will. She added, spotting Harry's puzzled expression in the mirror behind her. I was born one, 
I got top marks in concealment and disguise during an aura training without any study at all. It was great. You're an aura, said Harry, impressed. Being a dark wizard catcher was the only career he'd ever considered after Hogwarts. Yeah, said Tonks, looking proud. Kingsley is as well. Eh, he's a bit higher up than I am, though. I only qualified a year ago. I nearly failed on stealthing tracking. I'm dead clumsy. You made me break that plate when we arrived downstairs. Can you learn how to be a metamorph magus? Harry asked her, straightening up, completely forgetting about packing. Tonks chuckled. Eh, bet you wouldn't mind hiding that scar sometimes, eh? Her eyes found the lightning-shaped scar on Harry's forehead. No, I wouldn't mind, Harry mumbled, turning away. He did not like people staring at his scar. Well, you'll have to learn the hard way, I'm afraid, said Tonks. Metamorph magi are pretty rare. They're born, not made. Most wizards need to use a wand or potions to change their appearance. But we've got to get going, Harry. We're supposed to be packing. She added guiltily, looking around at the mess on the floor. Oh, yeah, said Harry, grabbing up a few more books. Oh, don't be stupid. It'd be much quicker if I... Pack! cried Tonks, waving her wand in a long, sweeping movement over the floor. Books, clothes, telescope, and scales all soared into the air and flew pell-mell into the trunk. Mm, it's not very neat, said Tonks, walking over to the trunk and looking down at the jumble inside. My mum's got this knack of getting stuff to fit inside neatly. She even gets the socks to fold themselves, but I've never mastered how she does it. It's a kind of flick. She flicked her wand, hopefully. One of Harry's socks gave a feeble sort of wiggle and flopped back on top of the mess within. Well, well, said Tonks, slamming the trunk's lid shut. At least it's all in. That could do with a bit of cleaning too. Scourgeify! She pointed her wand at Hedwig's cage. A few feathers and droppings vanished. Well, that's a bit better. I never quite got the hang of these householdy spells. Right, you got everything. Cauldron, broom. Wow, a firebolt? Her eyes widened as they fell upon the broomstick in Harry's right hand. It was his pride and joy, a gift from Sirius, an international standard broomstick. And I'm still riding a Comet 260, said Tonks enviously. Ah, oh, well, is your one still in your jeans? Both bugs still on? All right, let's go. Locomotor uh, trunk. Harry's trunk rose a few inches into the air. Holding her wand like a conductor's baton, Tonks made it hover across the room and out of the door ahead of them, Hedwig's cage in her left hand. Harry followed her down the stairs, carrying his broomstick. Back in the kitchen, Moody had replaced his eye, which was spinning so fast after its cleaning it made Harry feel sick. Kingsley Shacklebolt and Sturgis Podmore were examining the microwave, and Hestia Jones was laughing at a potato peeler she had come across while rummaging in the drawers. Lupin was sealing a letter addressed to the Dursleys. Excellent, said Lupin, looking up at Tonks and Harry as they entered. We've got about a minute, I think. We should probably get out into the garden so that we're ready. Harry, I've left a letter telling your aunt and uncle not to worry. They won't, said Harry. That you're safe. That'll just depress them. And that you'll see them next summer. Do I have to? 
Lupin smiled, but made no answer. "'Come here, boy,' said Moody gruffly, beckoning Harry toward them with his wand. "'I need to disillusion ye.' "'You need to what?' said Harry nervously. "'Disillusionment charm,' said Moody, raising his wand. "'Lupin says you've got an invisibility cloak, but it won't stay on while you're flying. "'This'll disguise you better. Here you go.' He wrapped Harry hard on the top of the head, and Harry felt a curious sensation as though Moody had just smashed an egg there. Cold trickles seemed to be running down his body from the point that his wand had struck. "'Nice one, Mad Eye,' said Tonks appreciatively, staring at Harry's midriff. Harry looked down at his body, or rather, what had been his body, for it didn't look like anything. It was not invisible, it had simply taken on the exact color and texture of the kitchen unit behind him. He seemed to have become a human chameleon. "'Come on,' said Moody, unlocking the back door with his wand. They all stepped outside onto Uncle Vernon's beautifully kept lawn. Mm, "'Clear night,' grunted Moody, his magical eyes scanning the heavens. "'Could have done with a bit more cloud cover. Right, you!' He barked at Harry. We're going to be flying in close formation. Punks will be right in front of you. Keep close on her tail. Lupin will be covering you from below. I'm going to be behind you. The rest will be following and circling us. We don't break ranks for anything, got me? If one of us is killed... Is that likely? Harry asked apprehensively, but Moody ignored him. The others keep flying. Don't stop. Don't break ranks. If they take out all of us and you survive, Harry, the rear guard are standing by to take over. Keep flying east, and they'll join you. Oh, stop being so cheerful, Mad-Eye. You'll think that we're not taking this seriously, said Tonks, as she strapped Harry's trunk and Hedwig's cage into a harness, hanging from her broom. I'm just telling the boy the plan, growled Moody. Our job is to deliver him safely. Oh, boy. Her job is to deliver him safely to headquarters, and if we die in the attempt... No one is going to die, said Kingsley Shacklebolt in his deep, calming voice. Mount your brooms, that's the first signal, said Lupin sharply, pointing into the sky. Far, far above them, a shower of bright red sparks had flared among the stars. Harry recognized them at once as wand sparks. He swung his right leg over his firebolt, gripped its handle tightly, and felt it vibrating very slightly, as though it was as keen as he was to be up in the air once more. Second signal! Let's go!' said Lupin loudly, as more sparks, green this time, exploded high above them. Harry kicked off hard from the ground. The cool night air rushed through his hair. As the neat square gardens of Privet Drive fell away, shrinking rapidly into a patchwork of dark greens and blacks, and every thought of the ministry hearing was swept from his mind, as though the rush of air had blown it out of his head. He felt as though his heart was going to explode with pleasure. He was flying again, flying away from Privet Drive as he fantasized about all summer. He was going home. For a few glorious moments, all of his problems seemed to recede into nothing, insignificant in the vast starry sky. Hard left! Hard left! There's a muggle looking up! shouted Moody from behind him. Tonks swerved and Harry followed her, watching his trunk swinging wildly beneath her broom. We need more height! Give it another quarter mile! 
Harry's eyes watered in the chill as they soared upward, because nothing below but the tiny pinpricks of light that were car headlights and street lamps. Two of those tiny lights might belong to Uncle Vernon's car. The Dursleys would be heading back to their empty house now, full of rage at a non-existent lawn competition. And Harry laughed aloud at the thought, though his voice was drowned out by the flapping of the other's robes, the creaking of the harness holding his trunk in the cage, the whoosh of the wind in their ears as they sped through the air. He had not felt this alive in a month, or this happy. Bearing south, shouted Mad-Eye, town ahead. They soared right, so that they did not pass directly over the glittering spiderweb of lights below. Bear southeast, and keep climbing, there's some low cloud ahead we can lose ourselves in, called Moody. We're not going through clouds, shouted Tonks angrily. We'll get us out, Mad-Eye. Harry was relieved to hear her say this. His hands were growing numb on the firebolt handles. He wished he had thought to bring a coat. He was starting to shiver. They altered their course every now and then, according to Mad-Eye's instructions. Harry's eyes were screwed up against the rush of icy wind, and he was starting to get... Uh, that was starting to make his ears ache. He could remember being this cold on a broom only once before, during the Quidditch match against Hufflepuff in his third ear, which had taken place in a storm. The guard around him was circling continuously like giant birds of prey. Harry lost track of time. He wondered how long they'd been flying. It felt like an hour at least. Turning southwest, yelled Moody. We want to avoid the motorway. Harry was now so chilled he thought longingly of dry interiors of cars streaming along below, and then even more longingly of traveling by flu powder. It might be uncomfortable to spin around in fireplaces, but at least it was warm in the flames. Kingsley Shacklebolt swooped around him, bald pate and earring gleaming slightly in the moonlight. Now Emmeline Vance was on his right, her wand out, her head turning left and right. Then she too swooped over him to be replaced by Sturgis Podmore. We ought to double back for a bit, just to make sure we're not being followed, Moody shouted. Are you mad, Mad-Eye? Tonks screamed from the front. We're all frozen to our brooms. If we keep going off course, we're not going to get there until next week. We're nearly there now. Time to start the descent, came Lupin's voice. Follow Tonks, Harry. Harry followed Tonks into a dive. They were heading for the largest collection of lights he had yet seen. A huge sprawling crisscross of mass glittering in lines and grids, interspersed with patches of deepest black. Lower and lower they flew, until Harry could see individual headlights and street lamps, chimneys and television aerials. He wanted to reach the ground very much, though he felt sure that someone would have to unfreeze him from his broom. Here we go, called Tonks, and a few seconds later she had landed. Harry touched down right behind her, and dismounted on a patch of unkempt grass in the middle of a small square. Tonks was already unbuckling Harry's trunk. Shivering, Harry looked around. The grimy fronts of the surrounding houses were not welcoming. Some of them had broken windows, glimmering dully in the light from the street lamps. Paint was peeling from many of the doors, and heaps of rubbish lay outside several sets of front steps. Where are we? Harry asked, but Lupin said quietly, In a minute. 
Moody was rummaging in his cloak, his gnarled hands clumsy with cold. Got it, he muttered, raising what looked like a silver cigarette lighter into the air and clicking it. The nearest street lamp went out with a pop. He clicked the lighter again. The next lamp went out. He kept clicking until every lamp in the square was extinguished, and the only light in the square came from the curtained windows and the sickle moon overhead. I borrowed it from Dumbledore, growled Moody, pocketing the put-outer. That'll take care of any muggles looking out the windows, you see. Now come on, quick. He took Harry by the arm and led him from the patch of grass, across the road, and onto the pavement. Lupin and Tonks followed, carrying Harry's trunk between them, the rest of the guard, all with their wands out, flanking them. The muffled pounding of a stereo was coming from an upper window in the nearest house. A pungent smell of rotting rubbish came from the pile of bulging bin bags just inside the broken gate. Here, Moody muttered, thrusting a piece of parchment toward Harry's disillusioned hand and holding his lit wand close to it so as to illuminate the writing. Read quickly and memorize. Harry looked down at the piece of paper. The narrow handwriting was vaguely familiar. It said, The headquarters of the Order of the Phoenix may be found at number 12, Grimald Place, London. And that is the end of the chapter. Thank you all for bearing with me through that. Um, it went okay. It went all right. I'm still... Uh, unfortunately, as I'm going through, I have to look at all of my different blue highlights and all the spots where there would have been a great sound effect. How was the music? Loud enough? Too loud? How are you feeling about it? And how's everyone doing? We got more people in here now. I see. Helenia says, I love all Hogwarts houses. Gryffindor, Slytherin, Hufflepuff, Ravenclaw. Um, <laughs> Charlotte Bliss says, it's me. I'm in the bin bags. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, an interesting discussion of what the Patronuses are. I actually don't know if I know what my Patronus is. Cassidy's is a bear. She also says rar. And, uh, okay, Charlotte Bliss also says, you know, raccoons, small, chubby, tiny hands, enjoy trash. <laughs> a Manx cat. Ashlyn says, I think my Patronus is a Manx cat. I can't quite remember. Let me look up what a Manx cat looks like. Is that, like, Isle of Man? Is that is that the Manx that we're referring to here? Oh, it's just kind of a cute, round boy. <laughs> they, all, they, they all look... <laughs> if you Google image search... Manx cat, M-A-N-X cat. They all look like you've just caught them like eating somebody else's food. They're like a little hunched over and looking over their shoulder. <laughs> like, hmm, whoa. Oh, I think they got little docked tails. Alright, they got little nubs and surprised eyes and they're very round round uh, little creatures. 
Honestly, they remind me ever so slightly of raccoons. Ashlyn says, been trying to work out how to download brushes onto my Procreate drawing app, and it's being frustrating. Jeff Miller says, I could do with a little less music so I could focus and hear you. Okay. Ash says, I went to Pottermore and got all the info on what the wand, Patrona's house, all that. Dorian. Is that your neck of the woods? Yeah, I'm glad to have you here. Not Dorian. Dorian's not invited. Dorian can head back out, uh, um, just, just away, just out into the ocean. Yeah, good to see you, Michelle. Okay, now as usual, I'm going to take my five-minute break. Now, I ordered more beans specifically to be here yesterday. They're not going to arrive until Wednesday. And that was like the, like, emergency pack, such that I could do the beans. And then I've got my, like, official bigger one. Which includes, like, the, the good... I couldn't find sugar-free bad beans, but there are sugar-free good beans. So that means that, like, for all the beans that I do, only half of them have, have uh, carbs that'll mess me up on my keto thing. So, not bad. But, unfortunately, the first package gets here Saturday, and the second package gets here at some point next week. But the first package is identical to the, uh, the one that we were already working with. Um, but, yeah, once again, no beans this week. I'm not going to pretend this is my best week. I don't think anyone's rating, rating this particular episode of Sidecar Stories, uh, Harry Potter Out Loud, as uh, number one. <laughs> it's alright. It's alright. I've had some rough ones in the past. We shall recover and we shall proceed. And we shall enjoy it. Darn it. I really enjoy having you guys here. And Cassidy was good enough to point out, it's not worse because I couldn't do it. You know, it's not like my, my audio is all glitchy or anything. It's just, it's just disappointing. Much like the beans. All right. I'll see you all in about five minutes. Bye-bye. And I'm back. How's it been going, chat? All right. General, I tell you what. There are... I, I occasionally will have time to unflag these, but YouTube automatically flags anything where you key spam. So you should know that uh, messages like the one I'm about to reveal to everyone uh, are often being uh, hidden away. Kirsten says, I'd love to read a book about Voldemort growing up and how he came to be what he is. Um, and General says, I think it'd be a better story if Delphi were her own separate entity? I think we might be talking about two separate things. <laughs> I also want to uh, see um, kind of the story of Voldemort um, from his youth, but especially in those years when he was changing, when when he was going from kind of a, a very hairy-like individual, you know? A, he, he was separated from his parents, didn't really know them very well, um, separated from the magical world, and then suddenly thrust into it. Um, obviously went in a very different direction from Harry, and I think the, the watching him move in that di different direction would be a fascinating series. Um, and not only, not only that, but young, you know, younger Dumbledore, I've always wanted to see that too, of course. Um, and uh, the various people that he would have been with at school, etc. Jeff says, Dementors wouldn't like the islands. And Ashling says, he may be hiding, but he was so worried for Harry that he came back to check on him every so often. 
sort of dodging in and out of the country so we could hide in plain sight. Indeed, it's uh, it's dangerous business, but boy, it's got to be useful to be a, an unregistered animagus. Good way to cause trouble, as we found out. B, have a good night. Thanks for dropping in. Linz, I did see Crimes of Grindelwald. Um, I thought it was fun. I've seen both of them. I've seen both of the uh, the Fantastic Beasts. And I'm glad we're going to see more of it because I do think that what we've seen is kind of a setup for other things. Um, it didn't... I, I realized after watching them that, you know, it didn't have quite the same magic for me as the Harry Potter originals, but I realized all that magic for me came from the books, not the movies. And, I mean, that's almost universally true for me um if i get excited about books rarely do the movies provide much more than like a, a fun time a fun couple of hours i typically don't i typically don't latch on to the movies in the same way um and so yeah i think crimes of grindelwald is a great way to set up some additional uh extra universe stuff uh i think I, i'm certainly going to be seeing the rest of them uh, i enjoyed them quite a bit so uh i i would rate them like I would write a lot of movies from universes I already love, which is a fun way to spend a couple of hours. I know there were a lot of people who were not pleased. Um, but uh, I thought uh, I, I thought there was a lot more complaint than there was actual criticism. And I get it. I think people are starting to understand what this feeling is, and so they're having a hard time describing it properly. Um, Ultimately, I think it's hard for people to to see things that they love the way it is and to have those things be different all of a sudden. Um, and with the way that movies are going right now, we are being forced to experience a lot of that. Jeff says, but yeah, books are usually a much better and in-depth experience. Oh yeah, Jeff also said, um, I like beasts much better than crimes. Ashling, yeah, a... Uh, uh, a movie on uh, James Lilly, Sirius, Peter, and Lupin. Yeah, watching watching that kind of coming-of-age thing, I think it could be a great kind of throwback to 80s movies, in a way. Um, you know, those 80s, like, group of teenagers coming-of-age sorts of gigs. Um, as we're as we're seeing, uh, you know, with Stranger Things and such, I think there's there's a space for that in the world right now. It wouldn't be 80s, though. What, what, when did they grow up? When... When was, uh, like, when were they in high school? Or when were they at Hogwarts? When was James Potter? Um, he attended Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry from 1971 to 1978. So it'll be pre-80s, but I mean, 70s, that'll be fun. <laughs> 70s would be fun. Watching a bunch of uh, people loving to get in trouble in the 70s. bunch of And like 70s magic. How would 70s magic be different? Think of, uh, you know, what was going on uh, in the UK in the 70s. I think that'd be a fascinating series. I always think in terms of series. I think the, the miniseries is the, 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 the pinnacle of storytelling. I think I've probably said that on the stream before. Okay. All right. Eventually, eventually we're going to get back in and uh, read some more Harry Potter. I think it's time for that sort of thing. So, quick review of what we did last chapter. Um, finally, finally, Harry gets 
an extraction. Not so much the answers that he was looking for, but at least he is out of the Dursley's house. Um, they are lured away, and then suddenly, downstairs in the Dursley's very own home, there is a whole passel of wizards. Eight or nine, it sounds like. This surprises Harry, because he did not get any notification that they were going to be coming. Moody's there. Lupin is there. Um, the real Moody. The, the real Lupin, I guess. <laughs> um... A new wizard, or a new witch that he's never met, named Tonks, and uh, a number of others that he might have met in passing before, but never really had a, a long interaction with. Um, they are taking security very, very seriously. Uh, it seems there were a lot of volunteers to come and retrieve Harry. Harry's wondering where they're going, and they don't give him a great idea. He's just supposed to kind of follow. And this has been a this has been a a theme so far. Just expecting Harry to follow. Um, and... Hi, Bruce. How's it going? And... Um, so Harry does. He follows. They fly over London uh, and actually land in London uh, in an odd little square um, with some dark houses. It seems like maybe kind of a rough neighborhood even a little bit. Um, he doesn't see what he thinks he's going to see. You know, initially he was hoping that they were going to be heading to the borough. Sounds like they, uh, they've got some more secure location lined up. And we are about to find out what exactly that is. And hopefully Harry will get some answers. We'll see. Alright. As usual, my name is Sam. This is Sidecar Stories. If you've got anything you want to talk about, put it in chat. And if the sidecar crashes, I'll meet you on Instagram at uh, Sidecar Stories. Let us proceed. Number four, Grimald Place. What? Chapter four, number 12, Grimald Place. What a day. What's the order of the... Harry began. Not here, boy! snarled Moody. Wait until we're inside. He pulled the piece of parchment out of Harry's hand and set it on fire with his wand tip. As the message curled into flames and floated to the ground, Harry looked around again at the houses. They were standing outside number 11. He looked to the left and saw number 10. To the right, however, was number 13. But where's... Think about what you've just memorized said Lupin quietly. Harry thought, and no sooner had he reached the part about number 12, Grimald Place, than a battered door emerged out of nowhere between numbers 11 and 13, followed swiftly by dirty walls and grimy windows. It was as though an extra house had inflated, pushing those on either side out of its way. Harry gaped at it. The stereo in number 11 thudded on. Apparently the muggles inside hadn't even felt anything. Come on, Harry. Hurry, growled Moody, prodding Harry in the back. Harry walked up the worn stone steps, staring at the newly materialized door. Its black paint was shabby and scratched. The silver door knocker was in the form of a twisted serpent. There was no keyhole or letterbox. 
Lupin pulled out his wand and tapped the door once. Harry heard many loud metallic clicks and what sounded like the clatter of a chain. The door creaked open. Get in quick, Harry, Lupin whispered, but don't go far inside and don't touch anything. Harry stepped over the threshold into the almost total darkness of the hall. He could smell damp dust and a Swedish rotting smell. The place had the feeling of a derelict building. He looked over his shoulder and saw the others filing in behind him, Lupin and Tonks carrying his trunk and Hedwig's cage. Moody was standing on the top step and releasing the balls of light the put-outer put had stolen from the street lamps. They flew back to their bulbs and the square beyond glowed momentarily with orange light before Moody limped inside and closed the front door so that the darkness in the hall became complete. Here. Moody tapped Harry so hard on the head with his wand, Harry and Harry felt something hot was trickling down his back this time and knew that the disillusionment charm must have been lifted. Now, stay still, everyone. Will I give us a bit of light? Moody whispered. The others' hushed voices were giving Harry an odd feeling of foreboding. It was as though they had just entered the house of a dying person. He heard a soft hissing noise, and then old-fashioned gas lamps sputtered into life all along the walls, casting a flickering, insubstantial light over the peeling wallpaper and threadbare carpet of a long, gloomy hallway, where a cobwebby chandelier glimmered overhead and age-blackened portraits hung crooked on the walls. Harry heard something scuttling behind the baseboard. Both the chandelier and the candelabra on a rickety table nearby were shaped like serpents. There were hurried footsteps, and Ron's mother, Mrs. Weasley, emerged from a door at the far end of the hall. She was beaming in welcome as she hurried toward them, though Harry noticed that she was rather thinner and paler than she had been last time he had seen her. Oh, Harry, it's lovely to see you, she whispered, pulling him into a rib-cracking hug before holding him at an arm's length and examining him critically. You're looking peaky. You need feeding up, but you'll have to wait a bit for dinner, I'm afraid. She turned to the gang of wizards behind him and whispered urgently, He's just arrived. The meeting has started. The wizards behind Harry made noises of interest and excitement and began filing past Harry toward the door to which Mrs. Weasley had just come. Harry now made to follow Lupin, but Mrs. Weasley held him back. No, Harry. The meeting's only for members of the Order. Ron and Hermione are upstairs. You can wait with them till the meeting's over and then we'll have dinner. And you keep your voice down in the hall, she added in an urgent whisper. Why? You don't want to wake anything up. What do you... I'll explain later. I've got to worry. I'm supposed to be at the meeting. I'll just show you where you're going to be sleeping. Pressing her finger to her lips, she led him on tiptoes past a pair of long, moth-eaten curtains, behind which Harry supposed there must have been another door, and after skirting a large umbrella stand that looked as though it had been made from a severed troll's leg, they started up the dark staircase, passing a row of shrunken heads mounted on plaques on the wall. A closer look showed Harry that their heads belonged to house elves. All of them had the rather has the same rather snout-like nose.
Harry's bewilderment deepened with every step that he took. What on earth were they going to do in a house that looked as though it belonged to the darkest of wizards? Mrs. Weasley, why? Ron and Hermione will explain everything, dear. I've really got to dash, said Mrs. Weasley, distractedly. There. They had reached the second landing. You're the door on the right. I'll call you when it's over. And she hurried off downstairs again. Harry crossed the dingy landing, turned the bedroom doorknob, which was shaped like a serpent's head, and opened the door. He caught a brief glimpse of a gloomy, high-ceilinged, twin-bedded room. There was a loud twittering, followed by an even louder shriek, and his vision was completely obscured by a large quantity of very bushy hair. Hermione had thrown herself onto him in a hug that nearly knocked him flat, while Ron's tiny owl, Pigwidgeon, zoomed excitedly round and round their heads. Harry! Ron, he's here! Harry's here! We didn't hear you arrive! Oh, how are you? Are you all right? Have you been furious with us? I bet you have. I know our letters were useless. But we couldn't tell you anything. Dumbledore made us swear that we wouldn't. Oh, we've got so much to tell you. And you've got to tell us, the Dementors, when we heard that, that ministry hearing. It's just outrageous. I looked it up. They can't expel you. They just can't. There's provisions in the decree of the restriction for underage sorcery for the use of magic in life-threatening situations. Let him breathe, Hermione, said Ron, grinning, closing the door behind Harry. He seemed to have grown several more inches during their summer apart, making him taller and more gangly-looking than ever. Though the long nose, bright red hair, and freckles were the same. Hermione, still beaming, let go of Harry, but before she could say another word, there was a soft whooshing sound, and something white soared from the top of a dark wardrobe and landed gently on Harry's shoulder. Hedwig! The snowy owl clicked her beak and nibbled his ear affectionately as Harry stroked her feathers. She's been in the right state, said Ron. She pecked us half to death when she brought your last letters. Look at this. She showed Harry the index finger of his right hand, which sported a half-heeled but deeply... What? Oh. Which sported a half-heeled but clearly deep cut. Oh, yeah, said Harry. Sorry about that, but I, I wanted answers, you know. We wanted to give them to you, mate, said Ron. Hermione was going spare. She kept saying that you'd do something stupid if you were stuck all on your own without news, but Dumbledore made us swear not to tell me, said Harry. Yeah, Hermione's already said. The warm glow that had flared inside him at the sight of his two best friends was extinguished as something icy flooded the pit of his stomach. All of a sudden, after yearning to see them for a solid month, he felt he would rather Ron and Hermione left him alone. There was a strained silence in which Harry stroked Hedwig automatically, not looking at either of the others. He seemed to think that it was best, said Hermione rather breathlessly. Dumbledore, I mean. Right, said Harry. He noticed that her hands, too, bore the marks of Hedwig's beak and found that he was not sorry at all. I think he thought that you were safest with the muggles, Ron began. Yeah, said Harry, raising his eyebrows. Have either of you been attacked by Dementors this summer? Well, no, but that's why they had people from the Order of the Phoenix telling you all the time. Harry felt a jolt in his gut as though he'd missed a step going downstairs. So everyone had known he was being followed, except him. Didn't work that well, though, did it? 
said Harry, doing his utmost to keep his voice even. Had to look after myself after all, didn't I? He was so angry, said Hermione in an almost awestruck voice. Dumbledore, we saw him. When he found out Mundungus had left before his shift had ended, he was scary. Well, I'm glad he left, Harry said coldly. If he hadn't, I wouldn't have done magic, and Dumbledore probably would have left me at Privet Drive all summer. Aren't you, aren't you worried about the Ministry of Magic hearing? said Hermione quietly. No, Harry lied defiantly. He walked away from them, looking around, with Hedwig nestled contentedly on his shoulder, but this room was not likely to raise his spirits. It was dank and dark. A blank stretch of canvas and an ornate picture frame was all that relieved the bareness of the peering of the peeling walls as Harry passed it. He thought he heard someone lurking out of sight snicker. So Dumbledore's been keen to keep me in the dark? Harry asked, trying hard to keep his voice casual. Did you bother to ask him why at all? He glanced up just in time to see them exchanging a look that told him he was behaving just as they had feared he would. It did nothing to improve his temper. We told Dumbledore that we wanted to tell you what was going on, said Ron. We did, mate. But he's really busy now. We've only seen him twice since he came here. And he didn't have much time. He just made us swear not to tell you important stuff when we were out. He said the owls might be intercepted. He said... He could have still kept me informed if he wanted to, Harry said shortly. You're not telling me he doesn't know ways to send messages without owls. Hermione glanced at Ron and then said, I thought that too, but he didn't want you to know anything. Maybe he thinks I can't be trusted, said Harry, watching their expressions. Don't be thick, said Ron, looking highly disconcerted, or that I can't take care of myself. Of course he doesn't think that, said Hermione anxiously. So how come I've got to stay at the Dursleys while you two get to join in everything that's going on here? Said Harry, the words tumbling over one another in a rush, his voice growing louder with every word. How come you two are allowed to know everything that's going on? We're not... Ron interrupted. Mum won't let us near the meetings. She says that we're too young. But before he knew it, Harry was shouting. So you haven't been in the meetings. Big deal. You've still been here, haven't you? You've still been together. Me, I've been stuck at the Dursley for a month, and I've handled more than you two have ever managed, and Dumbledore knows it. Who saved the Sorcerer's Stone? Who got rid of Riddle? Who saved both of your skins from the Dementors? Every bitter and resentful thought Harry had had in the past month was pouring out of him. His frustration at the lack of news, the hurt that they had all been together without him, his fury at being followed and not knowing about it. All the feelings he was half ashamed of finally burst their boundaries. Hedwig took fright at the noise and soared off to the top of the wardrobe again. Pigwidgeon twittered in alarm and zoomed even fa even faster around their heads. Who had to get past dragons and sphinxes and every other foul thing last year? Who saw him come back? Who had to escape him? Me! Ron was standing there with his mouth half open, clearly stunned and at a loss for anything to say while Hermione looked on the verge of tears. But why should I know what's going on? Why should anyone bother to tell me what's been happening? Harry, we wanted to tell you, we really did, Hermione began. You can't have wanted to do that much, can you? Or you'd have sent me an owl, but Dumbledore made you swear. Well, he did. 
Four weeks I've been stuck in Privet Drive nicking papers out of bins to try and find out what's been going on. We wanted to... I suppose you've been having a real laugh, haven't you, all holed up in here together? No, honest. Harry, we're really sorry, said Hermione desperately, her eyes now sparkling with tears. You're absolutely right. I'd be furious if it was me, Harry. Harry glared at her, still breathing deeply, then turned away from them again, pacing up and down. Hedwig hooted glumly from the top of the wardrobe. There was a long pause, broken only by the mournful creak of the floorboards beneath Harry's feet. <laughs> what is this place, anyway? He shot at Ron and Hermione. Headquarters of the Order of the Phoenix, said Ron at once. Is anyone going to bother telling me what the Order of the Phoenix actually... It's a secret society, said Hermione quickly. Dumbledore's in charge. He founded it. It's the people who fought you-know-who last time. Who's in it? said Harry, coming to a halt with his hands in his pockets. Quite a few people. We've met about twenty of them, said Ron. But we think that there are more. Harry glared at them. Well, he demanded, looking from one to the other. Uh, well, what? Voldemort, said Harry furiously, and both Ron and Hermione winced. What's happening? What's he up to? Where is he? What are we doing to stop him? We've told you the Order doesn't let us in on their meetings, said Hermione nervously. So we don't know the details, but we've got a general idea. She added hastily, seeing the look on Harry's face. Fred and George have invented extendable ears, see? said Ron. They're really useful. Extendable ears, yeah. Only we've had to stop using them lately because Mum found out and went berserk. Fred and George had to hide them all to stop Mum from binning them. But we've got a good bit of use out of them before Mum realised what was going on. We know some of the Order are following known Death Eaters, keeping tabs on them, you know. Some of them are working on recruiting more people to the Order, said Hermione. And some of them are standing guard over something, said Ron. They're always talking about guard duty. Couldn't have been me, could it? said Harry sarcastically. Oh, yeah, said Ron, with a look of dawning comprehension. Harry snorted. He walked around the room again, looking anywhere but at Ron and Hermione. So what have you two been doing if you're not allowed in the meetings? he demanded. You said that you'd been busy. We have, said Hermione quickly. We've been decontaminating the house. It's been empty for ages, and stuff's been breathing in here. We've managed to clean out the kitchen, most of the bedrooms, and I think we're doing the drawing room tomorrow. Ah! With two loud cracks, Fred and George, Ron's elder twin brothers, had materialized out of thin air in the middle of the room. Pigwidgeon twittered more loudly than ever and zoomed off to join Hedwig at the top of the wardrobe. Stop doing that, Hermione said weakly to the twins, who were vividly red-haired as Ron, though stockier and slightly shorter. Hello, honey, said George, beaming at him. We thought that we had your dulcet tones. We don't want you to bottle up your anger like that, Harry. Let it all out, said Fred, also beaming. There might be a couple of people fifty miles away who haven't heard you. You two passed your apparition tests, then? Asked Harry grumpily. With distinction. 
said Fred, who was holding what looked like a very long, flesh-colored piece of string. It would have taken you about thirty seconds longer to walk down the stairs, said Ron. Time is Galleon's little brother, said Fred. Anyway, Harry, you're interfering with reception. Extendable ears, he added in response to Harry's raised eyebrows, holding up the string which Harry now saw was trailing out onto the landing. We're trying to hear what's going on downstairs. You want to be careful, said Ron, staring at the ear. If Mum sees one of them again... It's worth the risk. There's a major meeting there happening down there, said Ron. Mm, said Fred. The door opened and a long mane of red hair appeared. Oh, hello, Harry, said Ron's younger sister, Ginny. I thought I heard your voice. Turning to Fred and George, she said, It's a no-go with the extendable ears. She's going to put an imperturbable charm on the kitchen door. How do you know? said George, looking crestfallen. Tonks told me how to find out, said Ginny. You just chuck stuff at the door, and if it can't make contact, the door's been imperturbed. I've been flicking dung bombs at it from the top of the stairs, and they just soar away from it. So there's no way that the extendable ears would get underneath the gap. Fred heaved a deep sigh. Shame. I really fancied finding out what old Snape's been up to. Snape, said Harry quickly, is he here? Yeah, said George, carefully closing the door and sitting down on one of the beds. Fred and Ginny followed. Giving a report. Top secret. Git, said Fred idly. He's on our side now, said Hermione reprovingly. Ron snorted. That doesn't stop him from being a git. The way that he looks at us when he sees us. Bill doesn't like him either, said Ginny, as though that settled the matter. Harry was not sure his anger had abated yet, but his thirst for information was now overcoming his urge to keep shouting. He sat onto the bed opposite the others. Is Bill here? he asked. I thought he was working in Egypt. He applied for a desk job so he could come home and work for the older, said Fred. He says that he misses the tombs, but, he smirked, that are compensations. What do you mean? You remember old Fleur Delacour, said George. She's got a job at Gringotts to improve our English. And Bill's been giving her a lot of private lessons, sniggered Fred. Charlie's in the older too, said George, but he's still in Romania. Dumbledore wants as many foreign wizards brought in as possible, so Charlie's trying to make contacts in his days off. Couldn't Percy do that? Harry asked. The last he had heard, the third wizarding brother was working in the Department of International Co Magical Cooperation at the Ministry of Magic. At these words, all the Weasleys and Hermione exchanged darkly significant looks. Oh, whatever you do, don't mention Percy in front of Mum and Dad. Ron told Harry in a tense voice. Why not? Because every time Percy's name's mentioned, Dad breaks whatever he's holding and Mum starts crying. It's been awful, said Ginny sadly. I think we're well shut of him, said George with an uncharacteristically ugly look on his face. What's happened? Harry said. Percy and Dad had a row, said Fred. Never seen Dad row with anyone like that. It's normally Mum who shouts. It was the first week back after the term ended, said Ron. We were about to come and join the Order. 
Percy came home and told us that he'd been promoted. You're kidding, said Harry. Though he knew perfectly well that Percy was highly ambitious, Harry's impression was that Percy had made a great had not made a great success of his first job at the Ministry of Magic. Percy had committed the fairly large oversight of failing to notice that his boss was being controlled by Lord Voldemort. Not that the Ministry had believed that. They all thought that Mr. Crouch had gone mad. Yeah, we were all surprised, said George, because Percy got into a load of trouble about Crouch. There was an inquiry and everything. They said Percy ought to have realized Crouch was off his rocker and informed the superior. But you know, Percy, Crouch left him in charge. He wasn't going to complain. So how come they promoted him? That's exactly what we wondered. That's exactly what we wondered, said Ron, who seemed very keen to s keep normal conversation going now that Harry had stopped yelling. He came home, really pleased with himself, even more pleased than usual, if you can imagine that. Told Dad he'd been offered a position in Fudge's own office. A really good one for someone a year on out of Hogwarts, junior assistant to the minister. He expected Dad to be all impressed, I think. Only Dad wasn't, said Fred grimly. Why not? said Harry. Well, apparently Fudge has been storming around the Ministry checking that nobody's having any contact with Dumbledore, said, said George. Dumbledore's name is Mud with the Ministry these days, see? said Fred. They all think he's just making trouble, saying you know who's back. Dad says Fred's made it clear that anyone who's in league with Dumbledore can clean out their desks, said George. Trouble is, Fudge suspects Dad. He knows he's friendly with Dumbledore, and he's always thought Dad's a bit of a weirdo because of his muggle obsession. But what's this got to do with Percy? Harry added, confused. I'm coming to that. Dad reckons Fudge only wants Percy in his office because he wants to use him to spy on the family. And Dumbledore. Harry let out a low whistle. Bet Percy loved that. Ron laughed in a hollow sort of way. He went completely berserk. He said, well, he said loads of terrible stuff. He said that he's been having the struggle against Dad's lousy reputation ever since he joined the Ministry. That Dad's got no ambition. That's why we've always been, you know, not had a lot of money, I mean. What? said Harry in disbelief, as Ginny made a noise like an angry cat. Oh no, said Ron in a low voice, and it got worse. He said that Dad was an idiot to run around with Dumbledore, and that Dumbledore was heading for big trouble, and Dad was going to go down with him, and that he, Percy, knew where his loyalty lay, and it was with the Ministry. And if Mum and Dad were going to become traitors to the Ministry, he was going to make sure that everyone knew he didn't belong in our family anymore. He packed his bags the same night, and he left. He's living here in London now. There he swore under his breath. He had always liked Percy Lease of Ron's brothers, but he had never imagined he would say such things to Mr. Weasley. Mum's been in a right state, said Ron, you know, crying and stuff. She came up to London to try to talk to Percy, but he slammed the door in her face. I don't know what he does if he meets Dad at work. Ignores him, I suppose. But Percy must know that Voldemort's back, said Harry slowly. He's not stupid. He must know that your mum and dad wouldn't risk everything without proof. Yeah, well, your name got dragged into the row, said Ron, shooting Harry a furtive look. 
Percy said the, the only evidence was your word, and I don't know, we didn't think it was good enough. Percy takes the Daily Prophet seriously, said Hermione tartly, and all the others nodded. What are you talking about? Harry asked, looking around at them all. They were all regarding him warily. Haven't... haven't you been getting the Daily Prophet? Hermione asked nervously. Yeah, I have, said Harry. Have you been... Uh, reading it thoroughly? Hermione asked, still more anxiously. Not cover to cover, said Harry defensively. If they were going to report anything about Voldemort, it would be headline news, wouldn't it? The others flinched at the sound of the name. Hermione hurried on. Well, you'd need to read it cover to cover to pick it up, but they... Um, they... They mention you a couple of times a week. But I've... But I would have seen... Not if you've only been reading the front page, you wouldn't, said Hermione, shaking her head. I'm not talking about big articles, they just slip you in like you're a standing joke. What do you... It's quite nasty, actually, said Hermione, in a voice of forced calm. They're just building on Rita Skeeter's stuff. But she's not writing for them anymore, is she? Oh, no, she's kept her promise. Not that she's got any choice, Hermione added with satisfaction. But she laid the foundation for what they're trying to do now. Which is what, said Harry impatiently. Okay, you know she wrote that you were collapsing all over the, pla all over the place, saying that your scar was hurting and all that? Yeah, said Harry, who was not likely to forget Rita Skeeter's story about him in a hurry. Well, they're writing about you as though you're this deluded attention-seeking person who thinks that he's a great tragic hero or something, said Hermione, very fast, as though it would be less unpleasant for Harry to hear these facts quickly. They keep slipping in snide comments about you. If some far-fetched story appears, they say something like, A tale worthy of Harry Potter. And if anyone has a funny accident or anything, it's, Let's hope he hasn't got a scar on his forehead or will be asked to worship him next. I don't want anyone to worship, Harry began hotly. I know you don't, said Hermione quickly, looking frightened. I know, Harry, but you see what they're doing. They want to turn you into somebody that nobody will believe. Fudge is behind it, I'll bet you anything. They want wizards on the street to think that you're just some stupid boy who's a bit of a- Killed my parents, Harry spluttered. I got famous because he murdered my family, but couldn't kill me. Who wants to be famous for that? Don't they think I'd rather it never- We know, Harry said Ginny earnestly. And of course, they didn't report a word about the Dementors attacking you, said Hermione. Someone's told them to keep that quiet. It should have been a really big story, out of control Dementors. They haven't even reported that you broke the international statute of secrecy. We thought that they would. It would tie in so well with this image of you that's some stupid show-off. We think that they're biding their time until you're expelled and then they're going to really go to town. I mean, if you're expelled, obviously, she went on hastily. You really shouldn't be, not if they abide by their own laws. There's no case against you. They were back on the hearing, and Harry did not want to think about it. He cast around for another change of subject, but was saved the necessity of finding one by the sound of footsteps coming up the stairs. Uh-oh. Fred gave the extendable ear a hearty tug. There was another loud crack, and he and George vanished. Seconds later, Mrs. Weasley appeared in the bedroom doorway. The meeting's over. You can come down and have dinner now. Everyone's dying to see you, Harry. Who's left all those dung bombs outside the kitchen door? Crookshanks, said Ginny un unblushingly. He loves playing with them. 
Oh, said Mrs. Weasley. I thought it might have been Creature. He keeps doing odd things like that. Now, don't forget to keep your voices down in the hall. Ginny, your hands are filthy. What have you been doing? Go and wash them before dinner, please. Ginny grimaced at the others and followed her mother out of the room. Ginny grimaced at the others and followed her mother out of the room, leaving Harry alone with Ron and Hermione again. Both of them were watching him apprehensively as though they feared that he would start shouting again, now that everyone else had gone. The sight of them looking so nervous made him feel slightly ashamed. Look, he muttered, but Ron shook his head and Hermione said quietly, We knew that you would be angry, Harry. We really don't blame you, but you've got to understand we did try and persuade Dumbledore. Yeah, I know, said Harry grudgingly. He cast around for a topic to change the subject from Dumbledore. The very thought of him made Harry's insides burn with anger again. Who's Creature? he asked. He's the house elf who lives here, said Ron. Not sir, I've never met one like him. Hermione frowned at Ron. He's not a nutter, Ron. His whole life's ambition is to have his head cut off and stuck up on a plaque just like his mother's, said Ron irritably. Is that normal, Hermione? Well, well, if he is a bit strange, it's not his fault. Ron rolled his eyes at Harry. Hermione still hasn't given up on spew. It's not spew, said Hermione heatedly. It's the Society for the Promotion of Elvish Welfare, and it's not just me. Dumbledore says that we should be kind to creature. Oh, yeah, yeah, said Ron. Come on, I'm starving. Ron led the way out of the door and onto the landing, but before they could descend the stairs... Hold it, Ron breathed, flinging out an arm to stop Harry and Hermione walking any further. They're still in the hole. We might be able to hear something. The three of them looked cautiously over the banisters. The gloomy hallway below was packed with witches and wizards, including all of Harry's guard. They were whispering excitedly together. In the very center of the group, Harry saw the dark, greasy-haired head and prominent nose of his least favorite teacher at Hogwarts, Professor Snape. Harry leaned farther over the banisters. He was very interested in what Snape was doing for the Order of the Phoenix. A thin piece of flesh-colored string descended in front of Harry's eyes. Looking up, he saw Fred and George on the landing above, cautiously lowering the extendable ear toward the dark knot of people below. A moment later, however, they began to move forward toward the front door and out of sight. Dumb it, Harry heard Fred whisper as he hoisted the extendable ear back up again. They heard the front door open and then close. Snape never eats here. Ron told Harry quietly. Thank God. Come on. And don't forget to keep your voice down in the hall, Harry, Hermione whispered. As they passed the row of house elf heads on the wall, they saw Lupin, Mrs. Weasley, and Tonks at the front door, magically sealing its many locks and bolts behind those who had just left. We're eating down in the kitchen, Mrs. Weasley whispered, meeting them at the bottom of the stairs. Harry dear, if you'll just tiptoe across the hall, it's through that door there. Tonks! cried Mrs. Weasley exasperatedly, turning to look behind her. I'm sorry, wailed Tonks, who was just lying flat on the floor. It was that stupid umbrella stand. It's the second time I've tripped over. But the rest of her words were drowned out by a horrible, ear-splitting, blood-curdling screech. The moth-eaten curtains that Harry had passed earlier were flown apart, but there was no... 
The moth-eaten velvet curtains Harry had passed earlier had flown apart, but there was no door behind them. For a split second, Harry thought he was looking through a window. A window behind which an old woman in a black cap was screaming and screaming as though she was being tortured. Then he realized it was simply a life-sized portrait, but the most realistic and the most unpleasant he had ever seen in his life. The old woman was drooling. Her eyes were rolling. The yellowing skin of her face stretched taut as she screamed, and all along the wall behind him, the other portraits awoke and began to yell too, so that Harry actually screwed up his eyes at the noise and clapped his hands over his ears. Lupin and Mrs. Weasley darted forward and tried to tug the curtains shut over the old woman, but they would not close, and she screeched even louder than ever, brandishing clawed hands as though trying to tear at their faces. Filth! Scum! Byproducts of dirt and vileness! Half-breeds, mutants, freaks, be gone from this place! How dare you befoul the house of my fathers! Tonks apologized over and over again, at the same time dragging the huge, heavy troll's leg back off the floor. Mrs. Weasley abandoned the attempt to close the curtains and hurried up and down the hall, stunning all the other portraits with her wand. Then a man with long black hair came charging out of a door facing Harry. Shut up, you horrible old hag! Shut up! he roared, seizing the curtain Mrs. Weasley had abandoned. The old woman's face blanched. Yeah. She howled, her eyes popping at the sight of the man. Blood, traitor, abomination, shame of my flesh. I said shut up, roared the man, and with a stupendous effort he and Lupin managed to force the curtains closed again. The old woman's screeches died and an echoing silence fell. Panting slightly and sweeping his long dark hair out of his eyes, Harry's godfather, Sirius, turned to face him. Hello, Harry, he said grimly. I see you've met my mother. And that is the end of the chapter. Okay, I'm seeing reports that it's a little glitchy. Um, it's looking okay on my end, but obviously a number of you have reported it, so who knows? Um... Because a lot of you are reporting it, it's probably on my end. Uh, I will take a look at that for next week, but we have reached the end of the chapter, so we're out of the uh, we're out of the woods, as it were. Oh boy, what a week! What a week! I think I'm gonna I'm I'm going to uh, try to ease myself into this a little bit more. I'm definitely not going to go as uh, I'm not gonna. <laughs> do all the sound effects stuff as as intensely as I tried to make it work this week. I hope you've enjoyed the chapters. Um, for anyone who wants to continue the discussion after we shut down the stream here, I am going to be uh, hanging out in the Discord for a little while. You can find that link below. Um, you can find um, the accreditation information for all of the music today at the bottom of the show notes. And I really appreciate y'all joining me. I have been a mumble mouth. My computer has been a mess. It's been a week. Bruce says, lol, just do the whole thing over. I won't complain. Ashlyn says, Order of the Phoenix is becoming a favorite. I love Order of the Phoenix. I love it. Michelle says, It's weird. I got the white spinning circle, but it's playing fine. That is a little odd. 
Yeah, I think uh, the live streaming thing has been strange overall. Um, and uh, this is a slightly newer kind of variation on uh, live streaming. The, uh, the 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 YouTube system changed for it fairly recently, um, essentially toward the end of last book, and so I am dealing with that. I think it, it's been better overall, but I don't know whether to attribute that to my new internet or to the new streaming. Probably a combination of both. Who knows? Bruce Martin says, I just got a promo at works uh, calibrating 3D printers, and it's been stressing me out. Well, congratulations on the promotion. Um, I wish you good luck in your uh, new endeavors. Ash says, your Miss Fig was hard to understand last week. Yeah. She's one that, uh, <laughs> luckily, we don't encounter often. We've got a little bit more of her um, later on, and I will, I'll, I'll clean that voice up a little bit so it's easier to understand. But um, Jeff, have a great night. I'll see you later. And uh, for anyone just tuning in, I stream at the same time every week. Um, you can catch me at uh, Sidecar Stories here on YouTube. Um, it is at 6 p.m. Uh, Pacific Standard Time on Thursdays. And I finally got my banner cleared up. Uh, thanks, for the, thanks for the reminder. I hope everyone has an excellent week. We, uh, we got to, to watch Harry in the throes of his deepest frustration. Um, not knowing anything, and it, we're we're seeing some of his some of his character flaws. There's there's a lot of um, criticism that Harry is kind of just a blank little spongy character. Um, like he doesn't he doesn't have much of a character of his own. He's kind of a blank slate onto which you're sort of, sort of supposed to paint your own um, personality, I guess, uh, to help this immersion. I don't agree with that. He's certainly not as you know deeply characterized as certain other individuals, but I've also been thinking about this during the week as I prepped. Um, the individual that we're looking at here is someone who experienced a fairly unique childhood. Imagine, uh, you know, imagine all of the things that made you what you are. I imagine a lot of it was media. Um, I imagine a lot of it was the people that you met and the people that you interacted with. Harry has had a very limited window for both of those things. Ash, that's a good question. Are you going to do Cursed Child? I don't know. I am really, I'm really struggling to decide because I have not read it myself. Um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Luckily, we've got a little time to decide. I'm, I'm guessing a year, maybe. Um, but yeah, that's going to be a tough choice when we come to it, Ash, whether or not to read Cursed Child. Um, Nate says so many character flaws. Yeah, so I think um, you know, there's there's this perception that he's not he doesn't have flaws, he doesn't have um, you know, advantages, like he's just like a blank slate. I think his upbringing contributed to who he is as a person. Like I said, imagine all of the media and all of the interactions uh, and all the experiences that have made you what you are. Harry had a pretty muffled experience of all of those things. He wasn't allowed to go out and meet many people because the Dursleys were trying to keep him in hiding. He wasn't allowed to go out and have experiences. You know, we, we in the very first chapter of, of the first book, um, it might be it might be one of the, the first three chapters or so, but we we hear about what an anomaly it is that Harry is allowed to join the Dursleys um, for their trip to the to the zoo. 
So Harry is able to suddenly bloom as he experiences this magical world. Suddenly he's allowed to try new things. What do you know? When you try new things, sometimes you're good at them. But he doesn't know this until he can experience them. And with the, the Dursleys, he just hasn't gotten that. And so I think there's this idea that, you know, Harry's this blank slate or that he's a, you know, I've, I've even heard him described as a really poorly written character. I don't think so. I think he is a character um, with a very singular past. Um, imagine, you know, imagine just taking the amount of experiences and people and media that you've had that have formed you into what you are and reducing it to about 5% of what that was. He's not allowed to watch Dudley's TV or like use any of the the Dursley the um um yeah the 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 Dursley television or you know I don't know what books were like for him but but he has not had the range of experience that most people have had and so he is got a very limited experience in the world and suddenly he's able to have more of that with this magical world and so now in conjunction with that idea Consider how cut off he must be feeling. Imagine you've been kept in this this social cage, this weird dark house thing with the, the Dursleys, and then you're let out for a while, and then you have to go back in. And you're, you don't know for how long. You assume that you're only there for the summer, but suddenly you find out maybe that's not true. And maybe your life, your, your life of color and, and experiences and new people is over, and you're back to nothing another disagreement i have with the idea that harry is a a poorly written just blank slate character is that he he does have some he's got some rage issues we're gonna see it more later on but uh he clearly you know he clearly has not picked the right two people to uh to lash out at you know, there there is a whole hierarchy of people above them and i realize from the outside we understand this better than he does but he has, there are other people who have the actual information, not just people who have been able to scrape some by on, on their downtime, but he lashes out at um, Ron and Hermione just because of the first people who he's been able to get to like stand still in front of him. <laughs> he's the first people he's been able to draw a bead on with all this rage he's got. Um, General says he's kind and caring, but also lashes out when he's kept in the dark. Yeah, I think, uh, uh, Ash says, I think it's not flaws, but the kid was neglected, abused, and kept down. No, I, I think you're right. And when I say flaws, I'm talking about him as a character. You know, I think, I think there's this, this idea nowadays that, um, good characters have flaws. And I think that's a, a pretty accurate statement. Um, and so I think it's, it makes him a better character that he has flaws. Um, and where one's flaws come from can be all sorts of, of uh, sources. For instance, this, uh, this neglected upbringing he's had. Um, but I do think there are still flaws. I think we, we talked about this, um, boy, I think we talked about this um, during the Great Gatsby stream, which if you like, uh, honestly, I'm doing the Great Gatsby stream if you don't like classic literature. Go ahead and check it out. I'm doing it in the same way that helped me really connect with Classic Lit. So I, I stream that on Tuesdays. It's earlier in the day. I stream at uh, 2 p.m. Pacific time. But uh, you can check that out. It's here on the same channel. But uh, we talked about that before. There's there's this idea that... Um, uh, we, we talked about 
people's flaws can come from from you know bad things in the in their past that can come from from events that they were victims of but it is still uh it is still up to a person how they live their lives after that you know we were talking about a someone who has lost their their main source of gratification and of of support in the world and now they are um you know exploring crappy relationships and all that as means of validation to try and get that feeling back and they're they're being really crappy human beings about it um yeah i think flaws can come from from we can be victims of things that make us flawed but we still have to actively practice reducing those flaws ashen says i feel like this is so no i oh i, I feel like this is known but helena bottom carter in a relationship with Tim Burton from 2001 to 2014. Like, dang, why didn't I know this? <laughs> it's true. Yep, we see uh, we see Helena Bonham Carter in a lot of Tim Burton movies, and she's with, she spends a lot of time with Johnny Depp in those movies. Vongyo three, tell me if I'm saying that right. Uh, says I just finished listening to chapter five of uh, I, it would have had to be one of the previous books. Is it chapter five of book one? Because that'd be pretty cool welcome i look forward to to uh seeing you when you catch up ashlyn says i watch the gatsby stream after the stream is over yeah with the vod sure perfectly acceptable nate says he didn't get to grow up with sidecar stories <laughs> um yeah i think we're seeing we're, we're seeing a big change um in the way that like lonely kids make their way in the world it used to be a lot of books which can be engaging and informative but there's no feedback now we're seeing the internet which has got live streaming it's got uh you know various youtubers who have incredible personalities um and we're seeing uh people latch onto these things that do have some sort of feedback even if it's just seeing you know your name pop up in chat um and it's interesting it's much i think it's less less static it's more um more of a network it, it's it's very it's shockingly global um but i think it's changing what lonely kids do and i that, that was me when i was young i was one of the lonely kids uh in middle school through middle school essentially um i had a couple of friends but i didn't i wasn't close to many people and uh as such i read a lot of books i read a lot of books I did a ton of reading and uh, that's kind of what, my, what I filled my time with. But Harry has not had that advantage. And um, I think nowadays people have access to books now, I mean, more than ever. Um, and I think we're seeing a lot of people choose YouTube, Twitch, etc. It's interesting. I'm not going to say it's explicitly good or bad, but um, it is interesting to, to have people uh, suddenly become part of these communities over different parts of the web um because you know at uh at school i might have read the aragon series and maybe even made friends with a couple of people who have read it too but i was never you know i never would have been part of a group of you know in this case it's it's uh 500 some people who like harry potter in uh you know in the case of like um you know, like Ninja or somebody, thousands and thousands of people who, or, or 
you know, booty by like millions of people who like to connect over, you know, funny gaming stuff. Um, and they feel like they're a part of that and, and how much they are actually a part of a community can vary from thing to thing, but it's very interesting. I think we're, we are, we are experiencing something that Harry didn't even have available to experience. I wonder what Harry would have been like had he sat under the stairs in his cupboard, uh, watching Fortnite <laughs> on Twitch. Cause that probably would have been an option. I mean, I don't know. He, he would have had a hard time getting his hands on a smartphone, but you know, if the, if the, if the Dursleys could have been convinced, like, you know, well, we get four lines anyway, might as well get one for the kid. We'll give Mark, we'll give him, uh, Aunt Petunia's cracked galaxy two. And, uh, yeah, Harry's going to watch some, some Fortnite videos on Twitch. It's possible he would have had a, a very different life. Ash says, as a kid, they had a childhood uh, like Harry. I understand the character quite a bit. He overcame his childhood. Yeah, he's working on it. He's working hard at it. <laughs> All right. It looks like we're chugging again, and it's about a quarter past eight. I think it is time. So, I hope you all have a lovely evening. I will see you next week for more Great Gatsby, which is going really well, I should add. Great Gatsby is going great. Um, for Gatsby, and I will see you for more. Uh, <laughs> Julia, just in time. <laughs> oh, man. Hi, Julia. I hope you're having a great night. I hope everyone has a great night, has a great week. Uh, like I said, I'm going to be in the Discord for a little while afterward. Come say hi. I miss you. <laughs> I hope you have all... Yeah, wow. All right, Mumble Mouth signing off. Hopefully next week, some better sound and a very, a very organized mouth. <laughs> I'll see y'all later. Have a good night.